Well, it's the end of the week, which means it's time to clear out our schedule once again for another practical Q&A session with our Bible teacher, Pastor Mike Fabares. We're tackling a common conundrum, how to know God's will for our lives. Glad to have you with us today on Focal Point. I'm your host, Dave Drewy. Looking forward to this edition of Ask Pastor Mike. You know, every day we're faced with a thousand different decisions, ranging from what to wear, where to live, or even who to marry. But how can you know what God's will is for you? Well, let's join Executive Director Jay Wharton as he and Pastor Mike sit down for a heart-to-heart chat about this important question. Jay? Well, I'm here with uh, Pastor Mike, and we're having another edition of uh, Ask Pastor Mike here on Focal Point. We're going to take some time to answer questions from our listeners. And we recently received an email, uh, Pastor Mike, from a, from a listener who asks, if there are many open doors available to me and I'm willing to walk through each of them, how do I know which one is God's will for me? Wants to know how do we discern God's will in, in our lives? Yeah. How would you respond to Well, I'd probably first start by defining open door, right? It's a biblical term. If you're new to the Bible or whatever, you might not understand that. That is a circumstance that is a good circumstance. It's a good opportunity and it's available to you. It's right in front of you. It's an open door. And and I, I think that's a, a good way to look at the will of God. Like you're standing in a room, there's several open doors and we have to make a decision as to which one's best. And that's always going to lead you back to how do we see in the Bible people making big decisions? And the listener wrote in and said he was willing. And and I just want to make sure that every listener understands that is not just a small thing. That's a huge thing. We talk about Adipat, you know, a lot of times in my preaching. And that just means that you're fully willing to do anything, any place, anytime, and to, to really be willing to walk through any door. I know a lot of people that say, I'm willing to do this, this, and this, but I'm just not willing to do that. You've really got to be willing to do anything that God asks. And if that's the case, uh, then I think you're in a good position to make a wise decision. Of course, you need to have your mind saturated in the Word of God uh, so that you know whether this really is an open door, a good, providential, godly thing to do. Uh, so you got to know the Word of God. You've got to be able to have a sense of, you know, what is a godly thing or a wise thing. Let's put it that way. In terms of, uh, I just I, knowing life, knowing reality, knowing what we're talking about. If it's a job, you're going to seek consult. Right? The Proverbs has so much to say about plans being established by those who seek good counsel. And I know a lot of folks that don't want to seek counsel because really they're afraid that the counselor is going to say there's something you haven't considered on the table. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of open doors. And like I said, a lot of people don't want to really walk through any of them. They want to walk through A, B, or C, but not, you know, not D. So I, I just, I, I want you to be willing. I want you to have a mind that, that knows the word of God so you can see that this is a good and godly option. And then I want you to seek godly counsel. And then I would say, don't be paralyzed. If you're going to make a decision, make the decision and then move forward, walk through it, and then trust that God has guided you in the process. You've sought good counsel, claim his, the truthfulness of his word and walk through the door and don't, don't, don't look back. You know, if God wants to adjust, he's going to adjust the path, but just walk through it without the kind of paralysis you see so much in, in a lot of Christians. So obviously in our 
decision-making process, prayer, God's counsel, you know, God's word, wise counsel are all going to uh, be factors in this. But when you're talking about things, I, we've you've talked about this before, about making decisions about the best decision versus the better decision. Right. I, I speak a little to that mm -hmm. in, in how we look at that, because not everything is a bad decision, right. but it may not be the best yeah. one. Yeah, and sometimes I preach that principle because a lot of people are saying no to what clearly is the best thing. It's the good thing. It's the godly thing. But they're saying, well, you know, I'm doing this. Isn't this okay? In other words, like the Bible may say, as it does, that we're supposed to be preaching the gospel to people. We're supposed to be presenting the, the message of the gospel to people. And people may say, well, I'm living a good life in front of them. I don't go out and get drunk with my coworkers. I don't cuss. And they'll say, well, that's okay. I'm being a good influence at work. I'm just not doing the best thing, which is to share the gospel. And, and I, so sometimes I use that analogy in that setting. And if you look at the setting that we're talking about, open doors and choosing the will of God, clearly, don't you want to walk through the best door? And what does that mean? I think it'd be the, the most fruitful thing to do. It'd be the thing I'm best suited to. You've got to understand that you, you know, you've got to be able to analyze yourself. Is this the right thing that I should be doing? Uh, I mean, if you, you're a young person, you're a Christian, you're thinking about how do I expend my life? Be a missionary, do a pastor, do be a businessman, an architect, a, you know, pharmacist, whatever it might be, you want to walk through the best door. And that's going to include looking at your life and not saying just because it's hard, I'm not going to do it. You're going to be able to say, I know I'm equipped to do this. I can be trained to do this. I'm going to do this and I'm not going to settle for something that's second or third best. You know what I mean? There's that sense of, I want to do what is the most productive for the Lord Jesus, whatever that is. I think some people, while they're presented with decisions in them, they might have two or three decisions they have to make where they can go through this this litany of things that help them make that decision. But what about somebody that is maybe thinking about a career path or maybe a, a spousal choice or whether that's even in their in their midst, whether marriage or signal this isn't even in their midst. How is somebody determining some of those things that maybe aren't specific decisions in their mind, but mm -hmm. maybe just looking at the broad plan of, of God's will for their life? Is there is that just hidden from us? Is there a way we can discern that? What would be the best way for people to maybe uh, latch onto that a little bit more? Well, I, I guess even the way we posit the question, it, it almost is like we're seeking out some secret roadmap. And I don't want to view God's will that way. I don't want to take the extreme that some people take that, you know what, just make sure you don't violate any biblical principles and live your life. I don't want to live like that. I want to pray. I want to look at my plans. I want to lay them before the Lord. But one thing I guess we haven't mentioned yet that we should, and that is our desires. Uh, and that's a part of, I think, reflecting my own giftedness. It's a part of God's spirit at work inside of me. I think a second Corinthians chapter two, when you know Paul was there talking about being in Troas, there was an open door for him, but his spirit wasn't at rest because Titus wasn't there, so he left. And I thought to myself, well, what's going on in his life right there? I don't think this is a claim of supernatural revelation. I think this is a sense of him saying, I, you know, I wasn't at peace with this, which can be an overused and an abused statement, but there was a desire in his heart. He, he was gonna connect up with Timothy. He thought this was important and he felt the need to do that. So sometimes the, the decision uh, certainly needs to, our, our desires need to sync up with the decision. What are you gonna make this decision to do? Is this really something uh, that's godly? Is it right? Have you sought counsel? Uh, and is it something that your desire, your heart can get around and you can go and do? Now, I never wanna use my feelings to disregard what's clear in the Bible. Well, I don't feel peace about doing evangelism. That's not the point. The point is here's two or three equally godly good things to do, career, spouse, whatever. Well, then what are my desires here? 
I, I don't think that's a bad thing. And it can be abused. As you know, I preach a lot about the fact that emotions shouldn't be leading our Christian life. We shouldn't be feeling our way through the Christian life. But there is an aspect being made in the image of God, intellect, emotion, and will that our emotions play into our decisions. Thank you, Pastor Mike. We'll continue to look at this topic as we listen to a message from Pastor Mike called In Search of God's Will, Hints for People Who Want God's Best. was motivated, he was excited, enthusiastic, poised and prepared. He was all of those things. The problem was he was just a little bit misdirected. You see, it was supposed to be, and it actually was, the highest rated television special of all time. Unfortunately, when Geraldo opened Capone's <laughs> vault, there was nothing in it. <laughs> Oops. It is a bummer to think you're doing something really neat, only to be wasting time. You know what I mean? It is a bummer for Geraldo's career, <laughs> and, uh, and it's a bummer for us as Christians, because it's a very real possibility for us to be reasonably confident that what we're doing is something significant and important. What we're doing is... God's will. It's exactly what God would want us to be doing. But in reality, it's very possible that we could, instead of evoking a well-done, good and faithful servant from God, we might be uh, provoking a what-do-you-think-you're-doing kind of response from heaven. It is altogether possible that we as Christians can be convinced that the choices that we make about what we do and where we live and what we get involved in and how we function in our lives, we can be confident that it's right, but in reality, God can be looking at us and saying, no, that's really not my plan. It's a tragic reality for those of us that are dead set on trying to please God with our lives and wanting desperately God's best for our lives, wanting to live in the center of his will and to think that tragically we could be missing God's best for our lives. And if some of you here want to quickly hide behind your theology of the sovereignty of God, I just want to remind you your doctrine will be no comfort to you come judgment day when you recognize that you invested in God's plan B when he had for you a plan A. Though God is sovereign, and I would affirm that, God in his sovereignty will allow us to choose to do things that often step outside the parameters of God's perfect will. See, theologians call it his permissive will, and some of us spend far too much time in his permissive will than we do in his perfect will. I'd like to just take a few moments and learn from a bad choice that Israel made in stepping outside of the will of God so that we might avoid the same problems. If you have a Bible, open it, please, to 1 Samuel chapter 8. As we reach this point in biblical history, we see that Samuel is beginning to get old. He's near retirement age now, and he has done great things in leading the nation. He has given counsel and advice and instruction and leadership to the nation. And when there was a problem with the Philistines, he was there to counsel and advise and ultimately to deliver them from their enemies. But now he's getting old. Some things we may not see here on the surface at the beginning of chapter 8. We don't see that there is, instead of to the west where the Philistines lived in modern-day Gaza Strip, now it is to the east in Jordan or in what was then 
the land of the Ammonites, there was a king that was beginning to fortify cities on the border of Israel. And there was a threat, at least it seemed to be, that this king was poised to take cities and land from Israel. And so they looked at their leader and they said, you know, you're not what you used to be. You're old. You're near retirement age. What are we going to what are we going to do when you're gone? Your sons aren't what you are, and we'll see that articulated clearly as we pick up the story in verse number one. It says, when Samuel grew old, the text says indicatively that he appointed his sons as judges in Israel. That was not the gavel in a robe to, to decide between court cases necessarily, although the leaders of Israel called judges often decided between disputes, but it's basically a position of leadership in the nation. His firstborn son's name was Joel, and the second was Abijah, and they served at a place called Beersheba. Verse 3, they didn't walk in Samuel's way. They turned aside to dishonest gain. They accepted bribes and perverted justice. There was no successor for Samuel to take the place of godly leadership in the nation. So the elders of Israel, in the next verse, they have a good idea. At least it seems to be a good idea hoping that it's the will of God, they get together. It says in verse 4, all the elders of Israel, and they come to Samuel at Ramah. That was where he lived and ministered. And they said to him, you are old. Probably not the way you'd want to start a conversation, but anyway, the point is you're not going to be around here much longer. And your sons, well, they're not a chip off the old block. They're not like you. They don't walk in your way. So here's our demand. Here's what our plan is. Here's what we want you to do for us. Appoint us a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. Now, that statement may seem like a harmless statement, and in reality, it's one that has many things going for it. Number one, it was the decision of all the elders. It was a popular decision. It was the consensus of the leadership. It was what seemed to be reasonable in everybody's mind. And there's many good things that support it logically. You're old, you're not going to be around much longer. Your kids aren't very godly, so, you know, it makes sense that we would need a king. And thirdly, you may not catch this on the surface, but when they ask for a king, they use the identical phrase that is used in Deuteronomy chapter 17 about the day that God predicted hundreds of years earlier when Israel would come and seek a king, and then God spends several verses explaining to them how to do it. So they've got biblical support for it. I mean, this is what God said would happen. I mean, you can go back to Genesis 15, where God promises to Abraham, out of your descendants will come kings. So we knew that Israel would one day have kings. It was a biblical thing to think about a king for Israel. It's biblical. It's logical. It's popular. Let's do it. I mean, sounds like a pretty good Christian way to make decisions. Rational, it makes sense in my mind, it fits, it's logical, it's biblical, it's in the Bible. I can throw a Bible verse at it and say it's a good thing. Let's do it. And we step into it, fully convinced it's God's will. But as you'll see in the next verse, the godly prophet knows that it's not, and God ultimately confirms that it's not. Look at the response of the prophet in the next verse. It says in verse 6, but when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. He saw through this. There was something wrong with this request. So he prayed to the Lord. He started seeking God to see what God would have to say about this. Verse 7, and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. 
as they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Well, wait a minute. If it is popular and it's logical and it's biblical, then what's the problem? Displeased Samuel, because Samuel knew these people. It displeased God because God looked beneath the surface and saw what was going on. Note this real carefully. The real issue that was happening in Israel at this time was not that they came up with some immoral, unbiblical thing that they'd suggested or some irrational, illogical thing that they'd suggested or some off-the-wall, renegade, rebellious idea that came from one man. It was none of those things. It was that their motives were wrong. Their motives were skewed. And it becomes crystal clear as this is ex explained later and as Samuel brings a scathing rebuke upon the people later in chapter 12, it's very clear that their problem was that they were distrusting God to give them what they needed when they needed it. They had been trusting God to bring judges. There were 12 of them over 400 year period in the book of Judges where God had brought a leader when it was necessary, when it was needed. And they said, look, we've got nations that are putting their fortified cities up against the borders of our nation. There's armies starting to surround us. We're not sure that God will continue to supply for us. We need a security blanket. We need a king. We need a military commander. We need a guy that stands there as our focus that we can put his face on banners and march out there and show people we got a military commander in chief. And so we can have this and this will be our, our security. This will be our trust. This will be our solution. This ultimately, and I'll prove this to you later, was an issue of fear. It was an issue of anxiety. It was motivated by insecurity. They said, we're afraid. Because we're afraid, let's do this. And even though this was popular, logical, and biblical, God said, when your motive is wrong, it's wrong. Just the way it is. You and I know, if we're honest, that if we don't double check our motives, we can do something culturally acceptable, biblically acceptable, generally acceptable. But you and I know that we are stepping into an area that is not in the center of God's will. And we venture into it with motives that are sinful. And it doesn't have to be fear and anxiety and distrust and insecurity. It can be greed, materialism. It can be lust. It can be pride. But if the motive is tweaked, the decision is not God's will. If you want God's best for your life, if you want to stay in the center of God's will, and you're facing the crossroads, and it may be your job, it may be your geographic location, it could be moving into a new home, it could be buying another car, it could be taking a promotion at work, it could be some new organization you're joining or some ministry you're launching, whatever it is, you must double check your motives. Number one, always double check your motives. Because if your motives are wrong, your decision is wrong, no matter how popular, logical, or biblical it is. Motives can't make the wrong thing right, but motives can always make the right thing wrong. Always. So it displeased Samuel and it displeased God. And God said, you know what, listen to him, but warn them. 
Warn them severely and warn them sternly, it says in verse 9. Warn them solemnly and let them know what a king will do who will reign over them. Now, this is a truth that we can hang on to. Every time we step into something that is not the will of God in our lives, it always comes with a big price tag. It's not going to be good. The warning comes. In this case, from a godly prophet who says to Israel for 10 verses, look what's going to happen if you have a king. They're going to draft your kids into the army. They're going to tax your, your money so that they can supply all the stuff for the palace. They're going to take the best of your land. They're going to annex your property. It's going to be rough. Your daughters are going to get called into the service of the palace. You don't know what you're asking for. It is not God's timing and it's not God's will right now. Your motives are all wrong. And if you do this, it will be bad. After 10 verses of explaining all the problems that will come with a king, the people refuse to listen to Samuel. Here's their logic. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we'll be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. Oh, yeah. Don't you get it? This is not God's will. If it's not God's will, it's going to hurt and it's going to be wrong. And when you step out of the center of God's will, you're in trouble. Well, why was it wrong? Motives? Just a motive issue. Can you see that most of us need to rearrange our whole approach to prayer? Prayer is not something where I go and lay down my requests that are popular, logical, and biblical. All those may have a part in helping me decipher what God's will is, but that is not all. As a matter of fact, the most important part of the picture needs to be my motives. Oh, it's important for it to be biblical. It's important to have some godly counsel. And it's somewhat important for it to make sense. But it's really important why you're asking. That's why our prayer life needs to begin with God Teach me to pray. What is it that you want me to ask for? What is it that you want my heart to get set on? Is it time now for us to buy a house? Is it time now for us to get a second car? Is it time for us to homeschool? Is it time for us to take a new job? Is it time for us to move? Is it time for us to change this, that? You know what? That's what we need to be asking. God, should I even be asking about this? That's the first request. And instead, so often, if it's popular, makes sense, and is biblical, we throw verses at it and say, hey, we're going to do it. And really underneath, it's that subtlety that turns deep within our conscience of fear, possibly, anxiety, distrust of God. If we do this, this will be better for our family. Maybe it's an issue of greed or pride or materialism. If the motive is wrong, the decision is going to be wrong. Direct correlation between those two. So be careful. Always double check your motives. A stern warning against self-deception from Pastor Mike Fabares today on Focal Point. To listen to the complete unedited version of this message, go to focalpointradio.org and look for the message titled, In Search of God's Will. Well, whether you're a regular listener or today's your first time joining us, I'm sure you've noticed that Pastor Mike Fabares doesn't beat around the bush. He tells it like it is, straight from Scripture. Because the truth is, sentimentality and empty promises can't offer real hope. They may make you feel better for a time, but the only hope that can endure through hardship and carry us through suffering is the rock-solid hope of the gospel. And that's why every day on Focal Point, we're committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word. And in recent days, as our world has faced one hardship after another, having solid biblical teaching available on the radio and web has been a spiritual lifeline for many. 
If you've been strengthened and encouraged through this program, will you partner with us today so we can continue reaching into hearts and homes with these daily messages? When you give, we'll say thanks with a fascinating book called Living Without Worry. Dr. Tim Lane has written a warm and pastoral book to help us see the line where godly concern turns into sinful worry and how Scripture can be used to cast our cares upon the Lord. How can we replace anxiety with peace? Is it possible to be free from worry so we can live life to the fullest? We'll find the answers when you request your copy of Living Without Worry. Again, it comes with our thanks when you join with us by donating today. Go to focalpointradio.org or call 888-320-5885. Or maybe you're ready to take your support to the next level by becoming a monthly Focal Point Partner. Now you can join the team at focalpointradio.org. Well, I'm Dave Drewey, glad to have you with us. And be sure to tune in again next time as we continue exploring the depths of Scripture right here on Focal Point. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries. 